All right, we're going. Hello, everyone. This is Nina Martinez. I am the board chair of Latino Civic Alliance. Welcome. I hope you can see me. I believe you can, but I'm reading from a, an agenda script that I put together. So I want to uh, let you know that right now, some of you can unmute, but the goal is to keep yourselves mute until there's time for the Q&A with the state agencies and also uh, at the last part of this meeting with the community. So this is a collaborative effort by myself with LCA and Maria Singuesa with the Executive Director Commission of Hispanic Affairs to facilitate these weekly calls to address the COVID-19 outbreak and share and learn how communities and organizations are, are addressing this issue statewide. We decided that these calls will occur weekly until things um, progress or you know, until we don't need this, but right now information is critical. So this is a fluid process as things are moving quickly. We understand that there are many issues impacting us with the stay-at-home order uh, in regard to labor, people losing jobs, we understand that, access to healthcare, questions about how to support small businesses struggling during this time. So we're gonna do our best each week to address this. Again, this is an organic fluid process and uh, we're doing the best we can. We thought it would be ideal that because we, uh, many of you are doing incredible work in organizations and have your own stakeholders, this is just an opportunity to bring everyone together and, and help and communicate as best we can and build capacity and partnerships uh, as possible. If either of you want to reach either myself, Nina Martinez or Maria um, with CHA, you can do that at uh, maria at hispanic at wa.gov or myself at info at latinocivicalliance.org. Thank you. Uh, next is we, um, we understand that a lot of the questions and concerns we've been receiving is the community want have more information from the governor's office and state agencies as well as local agencies. So we hope that we hope that the focus of these calls will address that. So um, in addition, we want these calls to get updates from the community uh, for educational and to create solutions and again to build additional partnerships. To help achieve this, we have put together a weekly agenda. It was created by steering committee members, our partners, leaders that are all on this call. It's a collective effort. Uh, we meet, we've agreed to meet every Tuesday so that we can put the uh, agenda together. From the meetings that we had last week and the prior, we noticed an increased need to hear from the department to address the ag issues, uh, the farm workers um, uh, that are concerned about being making sure that they're protected right now because the workforce has been deemed an essential workforce. So we've invited Department of Labor and Industries and Department of Ag to update us on the state's perspective and services provided. So that being said, uh, the reason I am saying all this is because it's being recorded. So I wanna make sure that we have some context for people that listen to this recording later. If you're uncomfortable with this being recorded, I ask that you uh, hang up now and contact us later and we can send you the meeting notes or uh, ask your questions uh, indirectly, but we need this to be recorded so we can share it accordingly. The first part of the meeting will have our state agencies again that'll speak for seven minutes, please, if you're on the line, and then allow Q&A from the community uh, for 10 to 15 minutes. Then we'll have an update from Wasson uh, to help us on how we can support our undocumented leaders and community members. And then the last part will open it up for the community to speak. We're gonna do it this time through regions. So what I'm gonna say is, for instance, Skagit leaders, please speak. That way we can sort of understand what's happening regionally. We're gonna try this today, hopefully it works, and then capture what the needs are in these different areas of the state. Um, so again, um, 
And last, I want to say that Commission Hispanic Affairs has a website. We all do, and I know a lot of us have information uh, addressing COVID response, sharing resources. Right now, the plan is that uh, Chaw has some resources to help us uh, to update their website with all this, the resources we have around the state collectively so people can be driven to that their website or that we can uh, link their website to ours. We're still considering this. The steering committee will talk about this on Tuesday. Uh, there's a conversation about creating a, a, uh, a separate website that has um, <clears throat> collectively information from all of us, but it's really challenging right now. We're gonna do the best we can. So why don't we start with our meeting? Um, Maria, why don't you let us know? Uh, I believe we have uh, Department of Labor on the line. Uh, labor and Industries, yeah. And labor so, and Industries. I keep mm -hmm. getting that confused, sorry. So we have Washington State uh, Labor Industries. Go ahead, yeah. and again, you have seven minutes. And I believe that was Uriel and or Danny. Are you, are you two on the line? Yeah. Oh, there you go. Okay. Two meetings. You have seven minutes. I only need one. Okay, go ahead. So, first of all, what, what, uh, just to. Yeah, I just got this connected. Are we back? We can hear you, yes. Okay. So what um, what are the, the main questions? I know you had, uh, I think you had two questions uh, last time. Um, but is there other things you want, uh, you want me to talk about that uh, has come up uh, that's more urgent? Maria, can you unmute me? Okay. Hi, Uriel. The, the question is are uh, the questions are what is uh, the Department of Labor Industries doing right now to make sure that the growers and the companies are compliant with the social distancing mandates and the uh, stay of order with the social distancing? Um, what is LNI doing to make sure that the growers have access to PPE or sanitation equipment? As we know, and I was part of a meeting this morning with the farm worker advisory that that we still have farm workers communicating lack of information, but that some of these growers do not have the sanitation supplies or stations. Uh, and I know that everyone is trying to work together, but what is LNI's role in this and to make sure that the growers are compliant? So we, uh, at the meeting that you were on, uh, we just finished that. Uh, so we will be coming up with, um, Similar guidelines, but more tailored to coronavirus. Uh, we have a draft and that'll be going out to the committee where you were on earlier this morning uh, for them to review it. And this committee is made up of uh, growers and is made up of advocates. Uh, and so hopefully we will get that uh, response uh, by Monday. And then once we have that, then we'll be issuing it out to, uh, to the farmers and also uh, letting the community know uh, about their rights. We've already been on the radio for the last two weeks, actually. Uh, every day we have two interviews uh, throughout the state 
advising the community about uh, coronavirus, about their rights, and that they can call us to file a complaint if they see that they're being placed in danger of work. And what that means is if they, if they see that uh, the employer is not following the orders from the governor in regards to distancing, in regards to sanitation, and the sanitations have already been in place uh, forever. Those have not changed, which is now in terms of people need to be more vigilant about it. And so we have asked them to call us. Uh, we've already been receiving some complaints. Uh, we go out and investigate if it's required. Uh, a lot of times, or it takes us a, a phone call to the employer, hey, did you know about this? Can you, can you do this? <clears throat> so we also follow up with, with the person that made the complaint. And, and you guys need to keep this in mind that for safety and health, uh, you don't have to provide your name to us. All we need is the address of the employer, the name of the employer, and what is the risk issue? What's going on? Um, so for example, is it that they don't have uh, soap for you to clean? Is that they're not following the six foot guidelines? All that stuff. And so uh, people need to understand that. And that's what I, at the call earlier, I've been, I asked the advocates is, please tell the workers that they need to call us. They need to call us for us in order to respond. And I hear in the community all this uh, that's going on, but until we know that we really can't do anything about it. Uh, and sometimes they may tell all the community, I mean, you guys can file a complaint on behalf of a worker. You can call us. You can go online and file that complaint on behalf of the worker. Uh, so, so that's important. Um, and, and I know that I just got off the call with the growers and there's going to be some angst because there are some changes in terms of the six foot, for example, uh, if people are uh, living in bunks, uh, especially for the HUA workers and things like that, or, or non-HUA, but where the grower pro provides housing, uh, how, are they going, how are they going to uh, comply with that? That's going to require more resources and things like that. So that's a discussion that the governor's office probably is going to have to enter in uh, with the grower industry in terms of what the cost. But for our perspective from LNI, those are the guidelines that we're going to be putting forward uh, and enforcing uh, what the governor issued uh, a couple of days ago or last week. Thank you, Adet. So part of the question is, I mean, when I was on the call, I think, I think statewide is, Farm workers do not have access to online internet, right, the portals. It's really imperative that it's been a very effective tool to have an 800 number. I heard a call this morning that um, there hadn't been something set up. However, my, you made a statement, it was clear that LNI has that 800 number, correct? Yes. I'd like to know what that number is so everyone can document it and we'll make sure to share it. But the purpose of that 800, because you have it stacked, correct? And yep. you speak Spanish. So workers could be notified through the radio media. The ra I assume that's what you're doing. It is not yeah. more aggressive to let the radio stations know and the media, and uh, also you know organizations to help you message that that they can call at 800 right now. And that's what we're doing. And I think some of the organizations who are probably on this call already receiving my messenger uh, documents that every time we produce something, I've been sending it to everybody. And that okay. includes, uh, and of course on the radio. Uh, yes, 
that's the number that we give out every single time and we ask the radio stations to please help us with that. What's the number, Uriah, please? And it's 1-800-423-7200. Three three. Seven two three three. Yeah. So 1-800-423-7233. All right. Yeah. Thank you. I do want to let everybody know that it is also uh, that 800 number is in the chat box and uh, we will capture that and put it in the notes. Thank you. All right. Why don't we Nina. move? Nina. If you're done, we can go ahead and move to uh, the Department of Ag and then we can open up for questions, the community for both agencies. Okay. So we have with um, a department. Uh, good afternoon. This is Ignacio with the Department of Ag. Um, hi. hi. So um, I'm not sure um, whether some of you are aware, but um, we we do receive a lot of calls that relate to uh, workers and workplace uh, conditions for the workers. Um, and and I just wanted to make it clear that you know WSDA's role is to regulate food safety laws. Um, so anything that has to do with food, of course, we're going to be enforcing those those laws uh, and those rules. Now, where we do handle labor-related issues is when um, when we provide uh, training or when we go out and do what we call worker protection. Uh, inspections and those are related to pesticides. So anything that has to do with pesticides and workers, that's where we we will be involved. Um, we do uh, have inspectors going out there to food warehouses, to food processing plants. So you will see them. Um, they are receiving questions about you know their workplace safety, but um, they they uh, refer them over to the Department of Labor and Industries or the Department of uh, Health. So as far as what we're doing, uh, obviously we're we're following we're complying with the governor's uh, um, directive uh, to do safe distancing. So we although we are doing classes on pesticides training, although we are doing compliance checks at farms. We are still complying with uh, with the safe distancing, and we will continue doing that uh, throughout the the pre-harvest and harvest uh, uh, season. So, I, I hope that that helps. Um, we did send out some information to the industry to remind them about uh, the food safety laws, and we do have some information in Spanish. Um, and I think I shared that with a lot of folks on 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 the call right now. Um, and then we also just reminded the the industry that you know they are responsible for complying with uh, the governor's orders as far as you know um, the safe distancing and making sure that they're looking out for the workers, uh, not allowing them to have you know um, face to face meetings or even to uh, congregate for for lunches or anything else. So um, that message was sent out from uh, from our director, Director Sanderson. Um, but uh, other than that, um, you know, if there's any any way that we can help in, in getting the information out to, to the farm workers and the business, we'd be more than happy to, to assist in any way. Okay, um, and Ignacio, with the Department of Ag, um, there's different, for the, for the ag workers, there's different categories, right? There's the field workers and then there's the warehouse workers. 
and the and the dairy and the seafood. It's pretty. It's pretty broad. How I guess my question will be saying for LNI in this capacity statewide. How are both agencies able to go on site and visit these growers and make sure that these facilities and Northern Field are being? This is a lot of region and range. I guess my question to you right now would be how many Department of Ag inspectors do you have out in the field first? As far as number of employees for the whole agency, you know, we we are very similar as 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 the industry itself. We're seasonal. So for right now we have probably like 750 employees. Now out of those 750 employees, there's a lesser number of inspectors or people that have access to work sites. Um, and so I can't give you a number right at the top of my head. And I, and I don't know if it really, that's really the, the, uh, the, the, the issue. The issue is that in my, this is my personal opinion because I've, I've done outreach is that most workers are not going to trust government employees. Um, it's really the folks like you, like people on the call that have that reach. And so you need to tell us what kind of information you need from us to pass along to, to the farm workers, because in the end, they're going to trust you more than they trust us. Um, we can, we can certainly provide them with the technical information, but you know, I'll, although L and I may have a, a number there, they're going to need help somebody uh, navigating through that call and, and, and being able to provide them with the right information so that the LNI could do something about it. That's my opinion because I've, I've, you know, I come from a farm worker family and, and if I, I always picture my mother, if she has a complaint, um, she's going to need help uh, sure. with, with, with whatever government agency she's getting, she's calling. She's going to need to answer uh, certain questions she's going to have to be able to uh, you know provide the right information so that the sure. enforcement agent can do something about sure. it. So Ignacio um, one question then we're going to open up to the community um, that I have is on the on the growers are they um, as are they uh, have you as you communicate with them do they have the local county is there relationships they have that the county can go and do testing what is the testing looking like I mean, what is the partnership between the growers and the and the healthcare, you know, community clinics to make sure that if an employer has an employee sick, that there's some health access to healthcare? Is there a gap still, or what do you know so far? Yeah, I, I'm not. Uh, I don't know. I don't have an inform, any uh, answer for that. I, I, you know, like I said, that that probably that's a probably better question for for Department of Health. The yeah. local Department of Health uh, in in the county, and because it does have to do with workplace uh, conditions, they might be an LNI issue. But of course, what he gets on the phone, and you could answer that question. All right. Thank you. All right, everyone. Maria, do you want to open this up for the state agencies, and we can everyone can ask questions? We have ten minutes. Sorry, I have my a mouse is squirrely. Um, I do want to make one announcement really quickly. It was uh, brought to oh, my sure. attention. It was a request from one of our um, members here to make it known that um, we have a reporter here from the Yakima Herald Republic. And so they thought that was okay. something essential for everybody to know. Um, thank you, Lex, for um, uh, the article that you provided uh, last week on the call. 
um, and for your continued support. So um, that's all I have right now as far as questions. Um, there are a lot of questions here on the chat. Um, okay, go ahead. Let me, I'm going to start from the bottom up. I'm sorry, you guys, it's not necessarily fair, but as I get myself organized, uh, I have a question. What about implementation of protective gear, masks, gloves? Is there any way that um, labor and or agriculture can make uh, farm owners accountable to provide basic protection? by beyond standard norms so i can answer this is ignacio within the department of ag if if um if uh workers are applying a, a pesticide the uh the employer is supposed to comply with the label on the product that they're spraying so they must be wearing uh personal protective equipment um when they're applying that product and that that hasn't changed um from what we've been doing in the past and that's that's our compliance um it's compliance folks that are out there visiting farms and making sure that uh, that the employees are are using the right equipment I mean, from from Al and I, I mean, we're kind of in the same thing. I mean, the regulations that exist in regards to what protect uh, protection equipment is required for the job. Uh, I know that you know the question probably is in regards to right now, should every employee wear a mask and things like that? Well, at this point, even in the last call that Ignacio and I were on, uh, that still has we are not going to be issuing any requirements because it hasn't been. A requirement outside of the protected equipment that is required to perform your jobs uh, and duties. Uh, so that's what we will be enforcing, uh, which is again the distance and the governor issue earlier today. Uh, there has been a question in terms of availability. Uh, at this point, uh, the farmers uh, or the employers are responsible for obtaining that equipment. Um, there is a bigger question right now with the governor's office in terms of if there is a shortage and things like that, how are those supplied? But that's, I think that's bigger than Ignacio and I can answer here. Thank you. Um, there's another question. I think a lot of the questions on the uh, chat box have been addressed. Um, send me a ping if, um, if, you, if you have a specific question. Um, there's another one. We are hearing that farm workers do not have access to water to wash their hands. Um, they're being told to bring their own water. Well, that is, again, uh, if they can call us, uh, they're supposed to be, those are part of the regulations. Uh, Ignacio, I mean, part of that has not changed. That's been always part of the regulation. So that's a complaint that they can call that 1-800 number to us uh, and we will follow up on it. Again, uh, please, you know, people are always concerned on how fast we're gonna respond. We are required by law to respond to every complaint that we receive within 24 hours. Thanks, Uriel. I just cut somebody off, so sorry about that. Go ahead. Oh, hi, hi, Maria. I'm not sure if you were letting me ask a question or somebody else. I'm not sure if uh, there was more than one person, but um, this, this is Dulce. I'm with the Washington State Labor Council out in Yakima. Um, and I had a question specifically for L&I, um, for Uriel. 
um, there are very few changes happening in um, in the warehouses for for the workers. But one of the most consistent um, changes that has been happening is during lunchtime, where workers are being told that there can only be two or three workers per lunch table. That means that the rest of the workers are not actually eating lunch in the lunchroom and they're being told they have to go outside and eat lunch. In the cases where the parking lots are close enough, they're able to walk there. Otherwise, they're standing during their lunch eating or taking a seat on the cement, on the cement ground. And so my question is, what can Ella and I do to ensure that workers are getting true breaks for their lunch, um, 30, for their 30 minute lunch break? Um, and, um, and then I'll have a follow-up question. Well, that is, that is part of the labor standard uh, laws that they have to have uh, their, their lunch period. So that would be a violation and they could uh, call us and report that violation. Uh, in terms of where uh, the facility and things like that, I mean, that's, part of gonna, that's gonna be part of our, uh, our, our regulations or, or expectations that we issue uh, later on. Uh, but again, it's going to be up to the employer. Uh, the employer's uh, expectation is to keep people separated. How they do it, it's going to be up to the employer. And so it sounds like that employer is actually following some of that uh, and, you know, probably alternating uh, lunch times, things like that, a whole bunch of other options that they can probably utilize. But we're not going to dictate to the employer how they can comply with so while I understand it's important not to uh, get into the weeds too much, there still is an expectation by Ellen I correct that they have to comply with the break laws, right? The break yes. time laws. Yeah. Yes. So so I th so when we um, so in order to have more attention drawn to that, Ellen I expects that workers will call to make a complaint and and the follow up process. Can you explain what that looks like? Because in most cases, people want to remain anonymous because as we know, many people will not qualify for the stimulus paycheck. Therefore, they feel forced to go to work to, uh, to not deal with an economic hardship. So I would expect that LNI or the governor's office would be able to, to disseminate information on recommended forms on how to um, operate during lunch hour. Uh, but are you able to share with us what it looks like when a worker does make a report? So there are, there are two things. One is a safety uh, complaint. On the safety complaint, uh, you don't have to provide your name. Uh, you can file it, and the only thing we need is what is the safety issue and address and name of the company, and we will follow up. And we have 24 hours to follow up on that complaint. What you are describing is, is a, it's a labor law. And if you, an employee has to provide their name on a, if there's a violation because there's more to do with the specific employee. And in order for us to follow up, you have to provide your name if you want us to investigate uh, the allegations that you are owed money because you were not given your appropriate breaks. So that's different. Um, I, I, part of it, I would still encourage uh, employees to call. Maybe it's a safety issue. Uh, and then we can follow up, but that's the part of it right now that unfortunately the law doesn't allow us uh, for employees to file a complaint on a, on a wage an hour because it's particular to that employee. We need the name. And, and uh, so we wouldn't be able to just 
uh, notify LNI about an, uh, warehouses that we know where multiple workers have made the exact same complaint, but they're all unwilling to put their name behind that complaint? You wouldn't, you can, does no, LNI take action? You can call us, you can call us and, and we will then have a conversation in terms of how we can, uh, sometimes it's just uh, when we get a lot of concerns like that, uh, we will take some ap appropriate action and, and visit the site, uh, depending on the allegations. But again, uh, the expectation that we're going to take, because we need a, at least somebody uh, to put their name on if it's a wage and hour issue. Uh, if it's a safety issue, we don't need the name. So wage and hour, we need a, a particular person, employee uh, name. Okay. Thanks, Suriel. Dulce, um, I'm happy to connect both of you guys offline. So if you send me your email via the chat box, um, you guys can uh, continue asking some clarifying questions. Uh, Rodrigo, Maria, can I ask something? Go for it. Thank you. So thank you for being here. I really appreciate you sharing this information. I really want to build on what Dulce um, question. Uh, in a larger sense, in the sense of, I just want to really understand from you, from your voice and perspective, what is the teat, what is the real power that both labor industry and agriculture have to, in times of extreme urgency like now, go beyond the normal policies and regulations that you are, in, that you are used to implement and enforce, to now make sure that um, employers are providing basic gear uh, to, to the extent or, or to follow a specific protocols for these industries in terms of social distancing and safety in the, in the light of coronavirus. Because other than, I really want to get a sense from that because uh, one example is just in terms of like um, the, the lunch breaks and that is just one small part that is just very representative of the rest in terms of like to what extent you actually have power. I, 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 what I'm going at is that this is a unique circumstance that claims for a lot of like top-down information to come and make sure that it's enforced by the, the, the employees in a population that is extremely vulnerable. So where, where is your take there? Where are you standing really in terms of like um, adjusting your uh, policies and bureaucratic organization to, uh, to this reality? Ignacio, you want to take the first shot? Sure, I, I can I can take that, and I and I appreciate the 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 concern, and and uh, we are in 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 a in a time right now where where we need to be a bit more flexible. Um, unfortunately, you know, we still have to stay within, I guess, you know, to use a, a term that's being used a lot is stay within our lane as far as what our jurisdiction is. That doesn't mean that we can't partner up with other organizations, other agencies, and, and with anyone to, to really get the word out um, about worker safety. And that's why, you know, I'm, I'm more than happy to work with anyone. And that's why I'm on this call to get ideas, get information from you to really see how, what is it, what else can we do within our, you know, what our purview, I guess, what the government, what the state of Washington tells us to do. And at the same time, we have to respect the other agencies. The other agencies have that have jurisdiction over workplace standards, with or have 
uh, jurisdiction over human health or have you know um, uh, jurisdiction over things that we we don't have so we have to respect the agency and we also have to continue to abide by what the law says so but that doesn't mean that we we are totally shut down and saying well you know what we never really did that kind of work in the past so we're not going to be able to do it now no i think right now we are open to any ideas um, as long as it stays within what we are uh, tasked to do yeah and and from from our perspective i mean uh, like for example the orders that have come down from the governor uh, there's been a lot of questions uh, are those orders enforceable things like that and i think the governor has even yesterday come out that in terms of uh, the businesses that are continuing to be open that he's going further in terms of uh, how to make sure that they are they, they stay close uh, that they're not the ones that are not essential uh, but for us, I mean, I, I second what Ignacio said. I mean, we just cannot make up law uh, just because we have this, unless the legislature, we go by what the legislators have put on of what we were supposed to be enforcing. Within that, in the last meeting that, that we had earlier today, <clears throat> we at LNI are going to be pushing the limits in terms of what we can enforce to ensure the workers are being protected, uh, to ensure that they are not being put in danger. Uh, working with workers who are sick, uh, not following the distance orders, making sure that they have uh, proper uh, washing and things like that. But those are have those regulations have always existed, uh, and so we are going to just be enforcing and making sure that people actually know that they can call us uh, at the 1-800 number so we can follow up and either advise the employer in terms of they know or actually do a uh, an investigation uh, do a an inspection and part of that there's expectations that we're going to have of the employers and in that inspection if we find that they are failing some of those expectations, there will be a citation. And part of the citation is uh, many times fines uh, for the employer if they fail to comply within a certain period of time uh, in correcting those safety violations. Thank you, thank you so much, I appreciate it. And thanks for pushing. <laughs> All right, Maria, this is Nina. This is Nina, everyone. Um, uh, do we have any more questions on the chat box? I'd like to have a speaker. I have a question. Uh, it's regarding safety. Sure. Um, so another another couple issues that continue to come up, and and this is in the fields. Uh, my previous question was for warehouse workers, but this is farm field workers. Uh, a couple of things have been happening. Um, in some instances, um, there are now supervisors watching how much toilet pe toilet paper is being used in bathrooms, which is extremely difficult, particularly for female workers. Um, and so I think that if that's happening and that's a widespread practice that that needs to stop um, and that wasn't happening previous to this crisis um, and then also um, secondly is there a, a required uh, list or some information that's being shared with the agricultural employers about required cleaning material that must be found on site and instructions um, being very clear around what must be on site. Because right now that 
that is not happening and there are places where folks don't even have soap in the bathrooms, much less know where cleaning supplies are at. And so I wanted to ask particularly Uriel, who has mentioned that the safety violations must be addressed promptly. Yes, and like I said before, I mean, those are, are, are required. I mean, they've always been required. So yeah, if there is a, a violation and people feel, I mean, part of the materials, of having to have the cleaning materials and, anything, and things like that. Uh, the other part that you mentioned in regards to, you know, unfortunately people uh, having, I guess, more intrusive things and people are using toilet paper, that almost seems like a human rights issue, uh, harassment and things like that, that we don't have jurisdiction over. Uh, but in regards to the safety, making sure that there's the cleaning supplies, making sure uh, the bathroom is clean, all that stuff, all that we have jurisdiction. And if, again, if people feel that that's happening, I, like I said, you can call us, a worker can call us, file a complaint, give us the address, and we have 24 hours to follow up on that. So there is there any effort to have a proactive approach, one that uh, is putting information out into this industry without there being it without it all being complaint based driven? That's always that's been the practice. I mean, part of uh, us issuing along and, and Ignacio can talk about uh, what the efforts from the Department of Ag. Uh, but yeah, it, that's always been we issue, uh, for example, the new requirements, we will be issuing that to them. Uh, sending to all the employer lists that we have, reminding them of the, of the changes, if there's any changes. But this, these expectations are nothing new. Uh, every employer should, should already have these expectations because we do on-site inspections, they're unannounced. So we could go any moment or any time to an employer, uh, and if we find any of those via, uh, violations, they will be cited. Um, and so, yeah, every employer by now should know, and if they if they they know they're violating it. And yeah, this is this is Nina. Can we get know. a copy? Of, can we get a copy of those documents? Is that public information? I'm well, that's yeah. I mean, once uh, like I said, we will be sending that out uh, probably next week once we get uh, everything okay in regards to the expectations. Okay. And and like I've been doing uh, to all of you who have. I've been sending that to uh, all those regulations once we come up or expectations I've been sending them to you so I'll do the same thing. We'll make sure to share that here as well. Ignacio did you want to say something before we move on? Yeah um, you know we're in, we um, periodically send emails email blasts to to the industry to either growers or to associations just to remind them again about food safety laws uh, the last email that the director sent out, um, you know, uh, had some links on on making sure that they keep their facilities clean. It's not specific to any product, uh, but uh, we we are in constant uh, communication with them as far as you know, sending them out information about our role. Now, um, Ignacio, I know that Ignacio, just quickly, can we go ahead and ask you? to ask the director of ag to add that as toilet paper you know personal products to you know to ensure that the growers are compliant this is very disturbing it's it's related to food safety right so is there a way a process that we you guys could facilitate that well i mean in the email the last email that he sent i mean one of the bullet forms one of the bullets on the email says increased hand or hand wash stations ventilation access to tissues 
hand sanitizers, soaps, disinfectants, and disposable towels. So that's that's in the email that he sent out. Uh, when was this uh, last last Saturday? So. Um, you know, and, and again, there's links on, on the email that he sent out to the industry saying, here's where you can get more information, not only from us, but also from, um, from the Department of Labor and Industries. Um, and also, you know, I think uh, the Benton Franklin Health District had a really good uh, uh, educational poster in English and Spanish. So we also put that on there too. So, um, but I, like I said, the, the associations for the industry are also sending out information to, to their members. The Washington State Farm Bureau, I think, has a whole page on the coronavirus and what to do uh, with their workers, what to do with their operations, and so on. All right, thank you, Ignacio. I'd like if everyone, uh, Mari, I don't know if we have more questions or what I think uh, from state agencies, but I'd like, in respect for time, um, we wanted to have Wasson update us, a quick update on what efforts are doing to help our communities. Um, did we answer most of the questions, Maria? We have one person with um, her hand up, and uh, Commissioner okay. Uh, Omada. Okay. Can we? Oh, go ahead and unmute you. Oh no! Why is it not letting me? You guys, this is when technology fails us. Okay, Anita. Oh. You know, part of my question or observation was actually addressed by Ignacio Anuriel, but I, I. I typed a message a little while ago. This is my first try on Zoom, so you forgive me if I am not an expert yet. Uh, in regards to the needs for safety of the workers in the warehouses, I have gotten some telephone calls and I did have a conversation with uh, Rodrigo the other day to see what we could do about it. And I actually gave him Ignacio Marquez's name, etc. But uh, the thing is that uh, Udiel was mentioning that uh, there are reminders sent and so on and so forth, but Uriel, remember when we worked together over there, you know that the people are afraid to come forward and place complaints. So I think it would be really a good idea and very much appreciated uh, by the community if people like you, Uriel, Ignacio, and everybody that is in the state agencies uh, do some checkup, you know, uh, come forward and remind them or sternly remind them because violations are taking place every day in warehouses and otherwise. I understand that about the only warehouse that uh, is in the Yakima area is the Del Monte and they have a union and uh, the union has been um, helping them but the other warehouses are in violation. So uh, again, you know, I had a long conversation with Rodrigo the other day and some other people. So, uh, so please, Uriel and uh, Ignacio, take what I am saying. The people are afraid to come forward. Some of them are undocumented, undocumented. Most of them are undocumented. So, help us out there, please. Thank you, Anita. Thank you. Thank you. Let's move on now to um, to um, Mazar. Are you on, Lawson? You have a few minutes, please. Great. Um, I'm going to see if I can try to share my screen. I know that other hosts might be doing it, but I will put it and see if it works. It works great. Um, so the Washington Immigrant Solidarity Network uh, launched our hotline so that folks can call us asking for resources that might be available out around the state um, or in the, in, in the counties nearby where most of the virus started from uh, or started spreading around. Um, and so we started have, receiving calls on Monday. Thousands of thousands of calls have come in. 
Um, our volunteers are practically having a full-time job answering from one call to another. Uh, and one of the things that we've learned from the hotline of people requesting access to food, access to rent, you know, the major things that people are right now asking for support in is rental assistance and it is access to food. Um, and just thinking about that has been really challenging the fact that our communities are facing hunger right now because of this uh, pandemic, right? So just let that sink in. Um, the other thing that we learned in terms of just like the first day uh, is that most of the calls are coming from King County, Snohomish area, which kind of shares a little bit about how long has each county been in quarantine and can just, for, uh, we can foresee on when this quarantine continues, how the need will rise in other parts of the state uh, in the realization that other parts of the state are not equipped with county councils, uh, with you know city, com you know county commissioners, to be able to aid communities the way that the west side of the state typically tends to do, um, and so part of our work right now is to do the advocacy that, so that those local governments are intentionally setting up resources for communities. Um, I shared on the chat box one of the major resources that we're directing people to. Um, United Kingway uh, launched a, a rental assistance fund. It is a band-aid solution, knowing that there's a bigger need than there's actual resources for. Um, I know that we have uh, Senator Saldana on the line and other amazing elected officials, and so I really encourage folks to continue thinking of a state-funded program assistance uh, to support people with rental assistance, speci uh, specifically in access to food as well. Um, and so those are the major things that um, we just wanted to share out to, the, to folks, that folks can start calling the hotline uh, the number is right there on the screen, 1-844-724-3737. Um, and there will be someone who speaks in their language, helping them navigate the resources that are available. Um, uh, primarily right now, I think the major thing that folks should know regarding getting access to rental assistance, that people are being asked to get that uh, late notice payment. Um, and so then they can submit that as a form of, of verification to then get access to, get on the line to pay for their bills. Unfortunately, none of the funds have yet come out to say, this is how we're going to distribute the funds. We still don't know. Um, the other thing that I wanted to share regarding other funds that we're organizing around the state is that uh, the Northwest Immigrant Rights Project, Wyson, and Washington Dream Coalition launched a fund last week, primarily intentionally focusing in focusing it on the fact that folks outside of King County won't have the same level of uh, local government support, uh, and really focusing that fund on statewide support for other counties that might not have that access to support. Um, thus far, in I think the last four days, we've we fundraised over $100,000 just for, from individual donations. In addition, we are speaking to um, a little bit of large, large dollar funders, such as um, the Satterberg Foundation and other foundations that we all are in relation to, to ask them to pour in uh, support for undocumented communities statewide. And we've been receiving sympathetic uh, support. And so uh, the thing that I want to share to this particular group is that if you want to be part of this fund as a partner to this fund, um, you're more than welcome to reach out to Paul Quinones or you can reach out to me and I will make sure that we are able to connect you so that your logo goes into that fund um, and that you're able to activate your, your list of networks that we're all essentially building a collective fund around the state. Um, and yeah, I mean, right now what we know is that the need will be bigger than, uh, than what we actually have available and uh, we're still looking for uh, state leadership uh, to really um, create a program for the state for people to really be able to get to this moment. Okay. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Montserrat. Um, why don't we now, since we're limited time, we have uh, 10 minutes, let's open it up to the community. I know there are other issues that we may want to share within our community here, our leadership here. So um, I thought that we would start with maybe uh, more in the rural areas of Skagit. Any leaders in Skagit that would like to share any comments, things that you're seeing there, things that we should know about? Let's start with Skagit area, the counties within that. Welcome. 
this is Enrique. Um, hi, everybody. Thank you for being on here and, and, and uh, supporting each other's work. So I live in uh, Mount Vernon, Burlington, Sigilwilly area, and it's crazy. We have like 140 uh, um, um, cases already um, detected, and it's it's very alarming. Um, a lot of information is coming around, but there's still a lot of information that needs to go out to Bisteco, Tricky families in the language. Um, also, uh, we're really connected with the school districts with their lunch program. And they're, they're doing a fabulous job. One of the things that uh, a lot of districts are doing also is uh, childcare. But the, the big question is how do we get um, school districts to also qualify farm work as an essential um, well, it is an essential job, right? But also uh, right. taking our farm worker family kids into the, the daycare programs. So that's a big um, okay. work that, that we're trying to figure out. Also, I got a call last couple of days by a local farm worker agency, uh, actually by farm workers that work for a farm worker agency. And uh, it's been pretty crazy. Uh, so farm workers are saying that uh, they found out within themselves that a local farm worker was detected with coronavirus but the um, employer did not tell the farm workers anything or, or, or their guidance or uh, next steps. So the farm workers were freaking out. Um, they, did, they ended up not going back to work in, the last, in these last couple of days. The only thing that they were told by the employer is that, um, that they could take PTO off for two weeks. That's it, they had PTO. Uh, Non-paid time off, but not employment because they're essential workers and that there's work available still. So uh, that's very alarming to me. And uh, so we have to find a way to get that information um, okay. to the Department of Bag and okay, we'll uh, add that too. Okay, we'll add that to get uh, the state agencies to give us more clarification. Okay, is that Perfect. it? Um, yeah. Okay, anyone from Whatcom County area that wants to share? All right, let's move to, let's move to uh, Grant County uh, the Wenatchee area, anyone from that area, we don't want to say anything. Hi, uh, this is Karina Begovilla okay. from the Wenatchee area. Okay. Um, um, we had a meeting yesterday with leaders from the area and I think we have identified three main issues that we have to work on and organize ourselves. Uh, okay. First is workers' rights. I have been nodding with a lot of the things that have been said uh, because we have similar concerns here about safety and health of our farm workers. Okay. So we're going to um, continue to work on that. Um, education, we want to make sure that we are reaching out to our community in a way that is um, culturally appropriate. So we are thinking on doing... Um, uh, spots on the radio and on TV and making sure that uh, whatever information we send out is uh, visual and that some of our uh, of our uh, farm workers don't read or write so we have to make sure that they are able to reach out and access this information so we talk about um, access and outreach uh, for communications and then also local funds uh, we learn about what Walla Walla is doing and we are uh, planning to see what are the things that we can do to um, figure out what local funds are available in our region so that we can use to support our farm workers. Uh, okay. So those are the three things that we are working on here in Wenatchee. Thank you very much, Karina. What organization are you with? 
Um, I work for Winachi Valley College. Awesome. Um, thank I you. work okay, with, uh, with right. a lot of students who thank have you. family. Thank in you. So much, thank you. Great feedback. Let's move to uh, if we don't have anyone else from Grant County area in Wenatchee, uh, let's move to Yakima and please um, one minute if you can speak, update us on what you think or what needs are there, anything that we haven't discussed on this call. Benton, so you want to go at it or let's go. should I start? Uh, Rodrigo, please, you can. So, as with many other counties, we are here in a in a rare situation because um, one thing that we need to acknowledge is the fact that the virus does not respect social categories. So it doesn't matter if you're undocumented or not, and so or like uh, migrant or national uh, U.S. citizen. And so, in that sense, what we feel is that the discussion at the level of Olympia has not really being grounded in the reality of communities like migrant worker communities. And so there's an urgent need because right now the, the epicenter in Washington state is on the west side, but it's going to eventually oh, yeah. move to this area and we still have time to act. And yet, just based on the conversations that we have five minutes ago, we feel that there's not uh, actually a, a, a systemic approach. That the, the We're still like just in... in frozen uh, based on our still social boundaries in terms of this is my parcel, this is my parcel, this is my parcel. Sure. And in that sense, that is when we need hearing Yakima and, and Dulce and many other people can correct me, that uh, a top-down decision and implementation of policies and procedures needs to happen. And so we feel very vulnerable. We feel that there's nothing happening. Uh, it's great that we are all organizing at this middle level of like different NGOs and and collectivities and whatnot, but I think at this point, what is still disconnected is the, what the decisions, where the decision need to be taken, and how they are going to be implemented. And so that's where we are. Excellent point. Excellent point. Um, Nina, may I add something yes, to that? Yes, go ahead, well? Yes. Um, okay. So here in Yakima, we have for sure we have the Teamsters that represent workers at Del Monte, and we have also UFCW that represents workers at Washington Beef. Both of the work sites, uh, well, they have multiple facilities, but each one of those companies has had at least one work site where workers have tested positive for coronavirus. Um, at Washington Beef, they have given their workers the option to take up to two whole weeks off and they still have their job when they get back. Um, as well at, um, uh, Del Monte, they actually shut it down and had workers take time off while they while they cleaned the facility. Now, both of these instances were, I think, appropriately responded to because there was a union that can negotiate and represent them in a legal manner. But all the other workers who have been exposed by co-workers, co whether it be in the fields or in warehouses, that have already tested positive, we have no way to track that, who they have been around. We have no way to know if other workers are also contaminated. So there's no real proactive measure to try to stop this from spreading in facilities that we know people are working shoulder to shoulder, other than this few small amount of workers that are represented by labor unions. So I... I I don't know necessarily what we can do about that, but I do think that there should be some measure put into place that um, that requires where a work site has had a positive test of coronavirus, that other workers are provided some sort of, of guidance or ability to take that time off and know that they have the right to return to their work site. 
Definitely, to protect them. You're right. I, I can, I just want one minute. I, I need to emphasize what Dulce is saying because it's fundamental. If we're going to have people working in the fields, testing, cheap, available, like massive testing needs to happen. And I think one right of the away. things that we need to advocate strongly based on all sorts of pandemic models that we have now seen from China to Germany to Singapore here is we need testing. We need urgent testing available for these populations if we're going to have them being exposed. And we need basic gear and basic procedures. So I, I cannot overemphasize what Dulce said in terms of testing needs to be available now. You're right, and collectively as the leaders that we are, we have a strong voice and we're gonna to have to work together to be louder and louder to make sure that our communities are safe. You're right, and and we're gonna to have to have expectations and hold a, our government, uh, governor and the government accountable. We have to do that collectively. At the same time, you know, create solutions working with them. So um, the last, um, I think we want, I wanna hear anyone from uh, Vancouver area, um, in that area, the Southwest Washington, before we close with King County. Anyone else in the rural areas? I really would like to hear more that I've missed. This, this is Enrique. One thing that I forgot to mention is the, the Emergency Pay sick, sick Leave Act in response to the coronavirus. How do we know uh, that the farmers and the farm workers know um, what it is and that they can actually, because of the law, take the time off and, and be paid? Okay, thank you, Enrique. Anyone else in the rural areas before we move to King County? Close. Hey, uh, Nina, this is Carmen McKibben. I know you mentioned Southwest Washington. Yes. I kind of already put it in the chat, but um, maybe either the next call or, or the next future call. If we can dedicate, I'm getting a lot of questions, concerns um, from our very mom and pop small business owners, particularly our restaurant owners, uh, barber, you know, salons, and those that are, you know, have their own little mom and pop business, uh, independent consulting, etc. And, um, you know, some of them are also, uh, you know, immigrants and or uh, undocumented. So there's a lot of questions flowing around from the perspective as an owner, as well as how to support their workers, because right now it's it's a nightmare going through ESD uh, to file. It is. it is an independent contractors, right? Uh, and it's not just for Southwest, but also on the Eastern side. So you're right. So I think for the next call, we need to bring someone uh, for small businesses because there's a lot of independent contractors too. We have people that are in construction, right? Um, so uh, this is- Nina, this is Jose. Okay. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think there's some enough and a lot of information going out to the community. I mean, there's the news, the radios, you know, and we post this stuff on Facebook and on, you know, there's Latin Mall. I think we're we're doing enough, but it's the people too that have to understand and it's sad enough in the way our culture works. But a lot of times, not until it hits us, is, is that we understand how how awful this is. Uh, so we got to do our part ourselves, you know, to protect our families. One of the things that really uh, scares me a lot, and uh, you guys have walked with me around the migrant camps, so you guys know what it's like. And, uh, you know, if the, if the migrant camps do open, uh, we're gonna have a, a huge, uh, you know, just keeping them safe. 
and like Uriel and uh, Ignacio both described, you know, we're we're following the protocol that we've had for many years, and that there shouldn't be any any changes. Uh, uh, so that kind of sure. also scares me because uh, we're in a different scenario now. For example, uh, during the days, you go anytime during the day, and there's kids playing by themselves. There's no child care whatsoever. Uh, how are you going to keep uh, people separately when they live in a place that's only a room that's only maybe 10 by 12? Right. How would you keep people separately? No, I think, thank you, Jose. Um, and I think uh, child care is another thing that's come up on the front. Maria, maybe you could summarize what you heard, but um, thank you, Jose. And everyone, Jose uh, works with Catholic Community Charity, Catholic Community Services out of Skagit. So thank you, Jose. So now why don't we close a few minutes with King County, and then we can close with Maria summarizing. I, uh, I believe what I'm hearing, though, is that for the next call, we want to invite uh, Department of Health and ESD uh, as a primarily uh, for the state for state agency. But King County, Everett, Snow, you know, Everett, Snohomish area, Tacoma. All right. Well, I can talk a little bit, Virginia, from Para Los Niños, the viewing. Hi, Hi. Just I want to quick a quick update. We are we are uh, you know we're receiving many difficult phone calls regarding just the scared to they don't have uh, how to pay grant, uh, and I am very frustrated because even though we receive some funds, we cannot use those funds in in other people that are not our families and not because we don't want it's because already our families are a lot families that we cannot reach out of our family so we are just trying to give information regarding other people that accept you know that is helping with rent assistance but in the same time you know we have many of our families are undocumented and in King County, the Latin community. So we need to really work out to have more money for, for, for other organizations that are doing the efforts to, to have this money. And, you know, if I cannot do it because I don't have enough money or I cannot serve certain community, we can definitely direct them to other other ones that have other money, but I think we need to continue uh, trying to these organizations that are doing rental assistance for undocumented people. We really need to try to more money is put in there for more Thank efforts. Thank you, Virginia. Thank you. Anyone else? Hi, Nina. This is Julieta Crosby. Hi, Julieta. Um, well, uh, from the Snohomish uh, County, what I can say is. That's kind of nice that we have all this information, but everything is in English and it's too hard. We try to translate. I do. Uh, people that live here, they do. So how we can combine between CHA and your organization to, I mean, we don't have to invent the wheel. There's a lot of information already and we can pull out and maybe translate and do something in Spanish. And another hand um, is there are many people also across the Washington state, they are not able to read and write in their own Spanish. So uh, how we can make maybe a visual thing, something that is not so saturated that the people can understand, something simple. So I'm worried about that because what we do is maybe overwhelming at the same time. Uh, and maybe it's kind of nice to redirect only in one, you know, one side. 
to have the, this, the all the information. Thank you. Right, I, and I agree with you. And everyone, uh, one of the questions for this is our third week, I believe, or call about having these calls in Spanish too. Something the steering committee. I am going to propose to the steering committee to talk about this, and Julieta, include you in that. I'd like you to be part of that call on Tuesday, so we can create some solutions to help with that. Courses in Spanish from all the different agencies, and my God, it gets confusing, honestly, about there. I know with good intention, but how do we centralize this information to get out to all these rural areas that really need it, right? And and making sure that our media and Spanish media partners are communicating that. This is a big challenge for us. And interpretation is always a big pet peeve of mine because you'll see with all good intention, a lot of these documents have not been converted in Spanish. So let's address in our steering committee. Um, anyone else in King County before we summarize this meeting? And this is Jimmy Mata. Um, Hi, Mata. Yeah, how you doing? Uh, I'm actually organizing through Empresarios Unidos and obviously uh, board member of LCA, a meeting in Spanish for owners only. Um, so this will be owners of businesses, and I've been talking to King County. I haven't talked to uh, to uh, Mayor. We're, we're having uh, Jimmy. Can you hear me? I'm hearing you. Can you hear me now? Get a little closer to the mic. I think. <laughs> Look over the computer. Hey. <laughs> Let me just speak up a little louder. There you go. <laughs> Use my big boy voice is what they've been told. <laughs> so. Uh, through Empresarios Unidos, you know, we, we've been meeting for the last year and a half, you know, as, as uh, Empresarios Unidos and uh, businesses in Burien, but it's it kind of extended because we get businesses coming in from Tacoma, Everett, uh, Mount Vernon, and North Bend, but they were a lot of businesses that uh, help the communities. They want to be able to help the community that they live in. Um, so here, for instance, in Burien, um, we have several stores that want to be able to give money or give food. Um, but they want to be make sure that 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 they know where that's going. So one of the things that I said is, hey, let's set up a meeting, and this is going to be for business owners only, um, to be to be able to strategize where where we can collectively come together to be able to work on being able to give, distribute either money, food, um, or restaurant food that uh, they're able to do. So uh, next week, I've asked the county to have somebody speak about what the county's doing and in the city of Seattle, what the city of Seattle is doing. The city of Seattle has a small budget for small businesses. And then also I haven't, I haven't talked to you, Nina, about the, the governor's office, but regardless, uh, because there is, there is a difference here. You know, we have the employers who are held responsible for their employees when it's essential jobs. And then you have the employees who then need to make their employer responsible and making sure that they're being responsible for their employees. So there is two, yeah my thought or two uh, three, uh, trains of thought there. So right. organize this for next week. Um, I've already okay. several businesses, so I'll let you know on that, on that one. Because there okay. is like uh, residential cleaners. Is that essential? Is that or not essential? I mean. No, it's true. City yeah, they're the ones that really being exposed. Well, you know? We were told that they weren't essential. Right. Okay. Uh, right. Landscapers, is that essential? Is that not essential? And some people say it's essential. Some people say it's not essential. I know it's confusing. I know it well, is. And I've, hey, look, I've I've, <laughs> I've I've got resources to be able to clarify it, but there is no clarification. All they say, well, the governor didn't say it was essential. I said, okay, so is it essential or not? So no, that's I hear you. Have them clear up what's essential, what's not. Thank you. Thank you. All right, everyone. Um, we've passed our time, and I hope this has been uh, very informative. And again, this is an effort for us to come together, and the strong, you know, the more we are together collectively we can work together to make sure that our communities are taken care of. And so 
uh, I think that we heard some really significant things uh, from Yakima area in the rural areas that we want to make sure that these leaders that we follow up with you separately and making sure that we put together some uh, actions items for our agencies uh, to follow through. So, um, Maria, why don't you just close this up and summarize? Um, I heard from what I heard is that we want to bring in ESD and uh, Department of Health, but we certainly need to make sure that our governor hears uh, the seriousness and the serious concerns we have around the state about our ag workers and uh, and and also the testing sites. You know, and and Rodrigo brought up a good point. Dulce about you know, we have a chance on these rural areas to tackle this. And so I know that Yakima closed a hospital. They're just, the state is going to take over that hospital, open it up. I mean, there needs to be a little bit more information. So um, I think the steering committee will talk about this and maybe uh, we'll follow up with some of the leaders on this on this um, call. But I'll be quiet on here. Maybe you can just summarize it from what I said. Uh, after I said. Yeah, you did a great job. Uh, the only thing that I... Uh, heard was missing from your summary was the small business information um, and commerce is working on rolling out a program uh, working with local community organizations so that's something that we I mean there's there's already like two hours worth of content um, and there was one other um, the H2A advisory committee um, action items that have uh, gone through from the letter that was sent out two weeks ago um, an update on what the the meeting was like. I know both of you, both you and I attended this morning, um, but some <clears throat> some resulting work that came out of that letter and then some um, leftover action items I think would be good. Sure. So I think we've got a lot of talk to talk about here between now and next call, but um, just plenty of work. But yeah, also uh, everyone, we heard a lot today. Am I right about childcare? We have a lot of kids. You know, what are we going to do about these kids that especially with the harvest we have. We also know that the state is still planning to bring the H2 worker last year. We had 25,000 and they're expected to come in May. And so, I mean, the big question is bringing not only do are we support not only are we having issues with our domestic workforce and taking care of them, making sure they're protected, looking at the guest workers coming to our state of Washington. So I think, you know, but that ties into childcare too. A lot of our farm workers need help right now. And then last is the interpretation, um, interpretation documents. And I just did want to just close with this that, which we didn't talk about. There's been a lot of conversations about whether farm workers need an essential, a document with them uh, to work, to show their essential worker. And um, Maria, I mean, I, I can say what I've heard from the governor's office very clearly, they do not need a document, okay? I know that the construction workforce, the construction, uh, industries did that because they wanted to make sure their workers were, uh, were protected. I don't want to get into that because I know that was their priority and they have unions and they have resources to do that. But for farm workers, it is our understanding, everyone, that they do not have to carry a document. In a lot of ways, there's been a lot of concern about these documents because we have people that are afraid to begin with having kind of their validations of information about themselves to begin with. That being one issue. The other issue that we've been hearing that Law enforcement has been creating block uh, uh, these uh, stop stations and and stopping community members. Um, right now, this is not marked by law. Um, the governor's been clear that, um, and that what I've understood is that they, the law enforcement has been communicating that they're not doing that. If this is, is happening, though, we need to know about it. So I want to be careful that we're making sure we're we're sharing real information and not rumors. And if it is real, that we need to know about it. So 
if any of you have information that this is existing, especially in the rural areas, in the sheriffs or the police, if there's any kind of action like that, please email us. Um, but right now, Maria, is it true uh, that they need essential document, the farm workers need a document? Not at all, not okay. at all. And uh, what we've been hearing actually is guidance from um, state agencies to agriculture, or actually businesses, those essential businesses is pleading them to not provide those documents. Mm -hmm. Because if people are, you know, thinking in their best interest uh, in providing a, a letter saying, yes, this person is an employee of an essential business, they're going from point A to point B, um, that actually creates more confusion and more fear within um, especially our community. So uh, the ask has been actually, please don't issue any letters. There's, there's no enforcement there. Um, yeah, okay, so we're... Maria? Yeah. This is, this is uh, Diana from Moulette. Can you make a copy of the chat box and send it to, or send it out or make it available? Sure, we can do that. Okay. Um, Does everybody want that? I'm not, I'm seeing nods, so, okay. Yeah, so... Okay. Uh, Nina, can I, may I make a comment? This is Carlos Jimenez out of Redmond. Sure, just quick, Carlos, we're going to hang... Sure, I understand that part, it's just, uh, uh, you know, there, we, we've been having some visits from workers from, uh, uh, field workers from Monroe to Carnation. Uh, uh, you know, it's been a little confusion for them. And also, once again, the landscapers in, in, uh, in this part of East King County from Medina to uh, Woodenville, they are uh, asking a lot of questions. Is the job essential? Essential, that's what I heard from you guys right now. Uh, domestic sure. workers out of uh, Medina, Redmond, um, uh, and uh, uh, Mercer Island, Bellevue are asking, uh, what do they do? Uh, it's, it's, it's getting chaotic right here on this part of uh, King County. Uh, we do have agencies like uh, Hope Link and Catholic Community Services, but uh, the last thing that I heard this morning for a couple of people that I talked to outside the center, it's, do I need documents to get tested? Do I need to be legally in the country to be tested? So there is some confusion out there. We say, yes. you know, but uh, so uh, I like to continue being in contact with these calls because uh, we get a lot of people at the center on and off talking from calls and, and stopping by. Uh, so anything, any, any information that you guys can send for these testing. Okay. Yeah, for testing, it'll be great. That's, a, that's excellent point, Carlos. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. So on behalf of our community uh, network here, thank you. And, uh, we will uh, send the meeting notes. So Maria, child, we're creating the notes and we're going to email them. I wish there was a way that we could, uh, we'll try to figure this out, how to email it to everyone on these calls. Uh, maybe Adam, uh, Maria, to Commission Hispanic Affairs to the website is an idea. Nina, this would be, you mentioned something, if I want to stress uh, more uh, that it is important for you all to help us in regards to the rumor mills. Right. It, it is, it, make, it will make it really hard for the agencies to appropriately respond to really the critical areas if, if we are getting a whole bunch of calls and, and really it ends up that it was just a rumor. Thank you. If you guys can help us with that, that would be really great. All right, everyone. Thank you. So everyone, thank you so much for being on the call and we're going to send the, meet, the minutes out and our next call will be next Thursday. Thank you. Thank you for hosting.